this is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have my friend Cal Jam Sheedy calling in from Melbourne by way of San Francisco, sheltering in place as a good citizen of Australia. We're going to talk about on podio fitness professionals make more money. It's uh, clearly a uh, time to uh, digitize your business. So we're going to hear from one of the experts in the space. Um, so Cal, why don't you give your uh, personal background, talk about why you, an investment banker can also become a fitness entrepreneur. <laughs> sure. Um, so my background, I've spent the last almost 10 years in the technology space, uh, first as an investment banker, um, and then as an operator at an early stage company in San Francisco. And then uh, started building on Podio about 15 months ago, which was spurred by a personal experience um, as a bit of a spin junkie. It was a personal experience I had in the local Equinox in San Francisco where one of my favorite instructors decided to pack up and leave to New York. And it was in that moment that I felt a visceral reaction and a sense of disappointment and being upset that made me realize how important she was to my um, to my own personal consumer experience and that she was probably not getting valued and getting the recognition that she otherwise served. And that sort of birthed so, you know, going back to your investment banking, I looked at the, uh, you know, some of the deals that you worked on and you worked in the, uh, you know, TMT, which for our listeners in investment banking is the uh, telecom media and uh, te- technology media and telecommunications, you know, category. So, you know, when you had this, you know, personal frustration and felt like, you know, I got to figure out a, a technology solution to kind of put a bandaid on, on a, on something that, that I, that I need. And if I need it, other people need it. You know, do you think given the orbit that you were kind of working in on a daily basis of, of understanding technology companies like gave you a little more either authority or, you know, confidence that, Hey, you know, I I actually understand these businesses. So it's not a crazy idea for me to, to go and do this. Yeah. I think that was a combination of that. I think really, the stepping stone I had when I moved into an early stage company in San Francisco, the company was called State Startle. That's where I think for me, I really had an appreciation of the of what it takes to start a company and be in the technology space and um, you know build something from scratch in the technology space. Um, I think as you as you know well, uh, you know in the banking space, you often get a ten thousand foot view of what a company is actually like. Um, mm. it's, not, it's not until you move into an operating role where you fully uh, grasp, you know the hand-to-hand combat that you have to deal with every day. So when you think about, um, you know, starting a company in, in San Francisco, you know, where there's a, you know, an ecosystem and a culture of, you know, coming up with new ideas and executing on them versus, you know, maybe in other parts of the world, people come up with ideas, but maybe don't have the, you know, ability to get funding or, you know, maybe it's not as, um, uh, widespread as an idea, you know, when people, you know, tell their friends, Hey, I'm going to start up this new app or I'm going to start up this new software company and you leave a, uh, you know, a, a biweekly uh, paying job and you've got a good title and, you know, it's, you're kind of going off the path. Um, how'd you think about that? You know, personally, uh, either when you moved to the insurance, it was an insurance company, right? Yeah. It was an insurance technology company. Yeah. Insurance technology. You know, when you, when you move there, like that's kind of one step, but then, you know, you really kind of, you know, really jumped in the pool. 
So just talk yeah. for a minute to the rest of our entrepreneurs here that, um, you know, if they're crazy, at least, you, you know, we got another person that's crazy that just joined our little, you know, community here or, Hey, look, you know, I kind of went in here eyes wide open and, um, you know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but I like, I had to give it a, get a swing at it. Yeah. I think, um, like if you ask my parents, I, I think they still think I'm crazy. Um, you know, jumping from banking into an early, early startup and then now founding my own thing with, uh, you know, having not picked up a paycheck in, in many months or in excess of a year, they, they think I'm an, I'm an idiot. But um, right. I think being in San Francisco, look, candidly, was personally helpful in, you know, you're just surrounded by it. You're surrounded by it. It doesn't sound as crazy. It's not as far-fetched to go out and start your own thing. But, you know, I think ultimately for me, and I think this is probably going to be true of anyone who really has that conviction behind um, and, and has the conviction and the necessary sort of like has the necessary conviction to actually be successful and start uh, a startup is um, you've got to believe in the idea. You've got to like top to, top to bottom really truly believe in it. And this was an idea for Ampodia that look, six months prior to actually leaving my job at uh, State's Title, it had been nagging me. It was you know, the experience I had in the Equinox gym and that was sort of the light bulb moment um, had nagged me for six months and I just couldn't shake it. And it, you know, beating myself up if I didn't, um, you know, take that leap and, and really pursue that opportunity. Let me ask you a question and maybe take a second to think about this before you answer. If the technology existed either from Equinox or already existed where, you know, your instructor said to you, Hey Cal, I'm moving to New York, but like log on to this site and, you know, pay 39 bucks and I get like 80% of it or whatever number and you'll be connected with me. You know, would you still have said, would you, would you have tested out that experience? And if that experience was good, you'd say, okay, I don't need, I don't need to start this company because somebody else solved the frustration for me. Yeah. I mean, I think if it's like a, if it's exactly the same idea, solving the same pain point that you you think exists, then, you know, it obviously makes it a bit more challenging to be a late mover into that space. But, you know, from my perspective, this was an undercurrent that I think was taking place in the market that I think many people hadn't seen or weren't appreciating. And um, that was that alongside the conviction I had and the sort of uh, research and customer development that I did was what I needed to give me the conviction to pursue it. Well, you know, coming from your investment banking and then, you know, being part of, of, a, of a team that's growing a company, you know, basically trying to disrupt the insurance industry, which, you know, is probably only second to the healthcare industry. Yeah. Some of you, you know, like a bureaucracy that you, you're trying to change the way things are done. You know, you got, obviously you got Excel financial modeling tools, you know, you know how to put together a nice PowerPoint presentation, you know, how much did you use of your, like, academic and like financial background to to jump into this or did you say which might be rightfully so look i know the market's going to be huge i know that i'm not the only person that feels this pain point and yeah i'll put together all the bullshit about like total addressable market and like here's the size and here's like the research reports and the kagers but like look i'm telling you like there's a business here i'm not sure if I, i'm not sure if i know what it is right now but like don't worry about that yeah, I, I think that um, look, I think the financial aspect of investment banking doesn't feed into anything that I do on my day to day right now. Um, I think the skill set that I took away from banking is the problem solving skill set. Like the first day I walked into that job, I didn't know how to 
put together a model and I didn't know how to put together a PowerPoint presentation. It was just like learning how to do that using the resources around me and leveraging that to, to you know, upskill. And I think that's, that's the skill set that I use every day. That's been incredibly valuable. When you think about, you know, your investment banking, because I want people to understand what we do and, you know, Dave Gannell and I have been working together for several years, but known each other for a while, you know, you live and die by the deal. You know, yep. and, and you have to like approach every deal as if it's definitely going to happen. But you know that maybe the 25 to 50 percent chance that that actual deal is going to get funded. But you kind of go into each one of those projects as if, you know, you know, like you're storming the beaches of Normandy, you know, with, with everything you got. So, you know, it's kind of great if you got ADD because you could like work on a project that it's over and then move to the next project and work on multiple projects at a time. So like when you're running your company now and thinking about, okay, here's like the hundred things I need to do over the next 90 days, but also like in 90 days, like this, this project doesn't end and I get to move on to the next one. You know, how is, talk about how like emotionally, you know, your brain works in, in, in your current position as a, as an entrepreneur. Yeah, I think I, I, I certainly think it was definitely an adjustment when I took that first leap, the first well, two to three to four months there was definitely an, a, a mental adjustment that I had to take. One was, I think it's an incredibly lonely path being an entrepreneur. You are oftentimes having conversations and meetings where people don't really believe your idea, don't understand the idea, and you have to like face that and have to keep marching forward. You know, even as you start to build a team around you, you're you know at the top of the at the top of the ladder, and oftentimes they don't want to have lunch with you or things like that. So it's an incredibly lonely journey, 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 and I think that took a bit of an adjustment, even at the, you know, day one, it was instead of working with a team of five or 10 around me in my, in my former company, it was all of a sudden I was working by myself, uh, living by myself, uh, commuting to and from work by myself. So you do get uh, stuck in this trap of just constantly being in your own head, um, which is a bit of a challenge, but I think, you know, you just need to learn to adjust to that. Um, I think the other thing that I sort of expressed, you know, uh, just now as well is, the emotional rollercoaster of it. You have your days where you're just on a high and you think you can take over the world and you have your days where you, you know, you've hit a bit of a roadblock and you think, you know, what am I doing and how am I going to overcome this? So look, I, I don't think it's anything that's not overcomable. I think anyone who really, as I said, has that conviction behind the idea will be able to push through, but it is an adjustment that you have to go through. Um, if you haven't otherwise, you know, had that experience before. Yeah, so I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna replay this uh, podcast with my fiance because she uh, my my roller coaster ride on a daily basis is sometimes like you know, <laughs> un, uh, unspeakably like you know you can't really quantify what's going on in my brain. So yeah, I'll, I'll use you as kind of like a litmus test that I should it's be not even into some kind of mental institution. Yeah, unfortunately, it's not even a roller coaster day to day. Sometimes the roller coaster is like minute by minute, hour by hour. So. Yeah. Well, one, one of the yeah, one of the things we do is, um, you know, we'll send you one of these. We got these win loss calendars, so like each day you check off whether you win you win or lose, but it's completely <clears throat> subjective. And then when you get to the end of the month, you realize that you know you're probably you know like twenty. I'm usually like twenty two and eight, or like yeah, you know, like twenty four and six. It's like wow, if I was like a baseball team or I was you know a basketball team, I'd be you know top of my division and you know in the playoffs every year. But there are days yeah. when I feel like I'm going to get relegated to, uh, you know, like recreational or intramural soccer, you know, as yeah. like a seven-year-old when I used to play in like the Premier League. 
So, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, like one of the one of the sort of uh, mantras I live by is you know you just got to move the ball one percent a day for a year and you'll be thirty seven times better by the end of it. And I think you just you got to think that way because it's very easy to get lost when you're starting your own thing and like as you said the hundreds of things that you have on your plate in any moment. Uh, you just got to keep pushing this one percent a day and by the end of it you'll you'll make some real progress. Yeah. So let, let's uh, shift gears. So why don't you give a little overview of how the Onpodio first tell me where the name came from and then give our listeners a little bit of, uh, you know, just a brief business description. And I want to talk to you a little bit about the growth there and then also being a software entrepreneur when the, uh, when the, the picture's never finished, you know, you're, you're always kind of working off of a wet canvas. So start yeah, off with, the, with the name. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, I, I I don't love answering this question because I don't have a great story for it. But um, you let's know, make think, up a new one today. <laughs> well, and the story goes, um, you know, I think I'm trying to think of different names around the fitness space. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a bit spin fan, and that's where this sort of idea was birth. Um, spin instructors are typically on a podium. Uh, on podium.com was unavailable, so I went with the Latin spelling of podium. <laughs> Oh, I like it. I like it. Well, the Latin, the Latin version of the word client is someone under your protection. So when you have a client or you have a customer, it's like, I'm here to like take care of you or like solve something and make sure you don't make mistakes. So sometimes like people, you know, say, Oh, I got X amount of clients. I'm like, Oh, so you're like protecting these people from failing. So like, why don't you think about your clients and stop telling me that they're a pain in your ass and like do what you're supposed to do. Cause that's when you, if you're gonna call them that, you better like protect them. Yeah. So, so talk about talk about the company and and what the the you know software set is and um, you know how easy it is to use. Which I think you know your tagline of uh, you know help fitness professionals make more money. You know, Ganelin is a you know more of a marketing guru you know than anybody else in our firm. You know, sometimes like the simpler simpler the business description, the better when people yep. get caught in like too much vocabulary. So what do you do? Yep. I'll help you make more money. Tell us how that yeah, works. Yeah, so, so Onpodio is really a platform um, designed for the independent fitness professional uh, to help them build a scalable business. So um, I always cringe at using technologies, but I'll use it anyway. I, I, how we analogize it is to Shopify. So uh, the same pain points that Shopify solved for the e-commerce world, which was really helping e-commerce vendors go online and, and really automate their business. That's the same pain points that we're solving with Onpodia. So it's giving fitness professionals a turnkey solution to build a website and have that online presence and then giving them and coupling that with the software that they need to really run their business and automate a lot of their core functionality. So um, everything from class, you know, automating class bookings, payments, email transa- transactional emails, um, offering memberships, class packages on demand. A lot of the things that you see at a studio or a gym level with MindBody or a Glowfox, we're making that sort of available and um, easy to use for independent fitness professionals. So, you know, there, there's, uh, there's been somewhat of like a democratization is the term I've been using uh, of fitness where, you know, everyone's a content provider, you know, and then you've got studios that are trying to provide content to their members. You've got instructors, they're trying to provide content to those same members. You know, so it's a question of like who owns the relationship or who's kind of part of overseeing that relationship. So I think it's going to kind of be interesting over, you know, post COVID, you know, does the, does the instructor become 
more valuable? Does the studio kind of think of themselves more as like, you know, I'm a Broadway theater and mm -hmm. you're the actor um, and you kind of rent space for me, but I'll let you kind of communicate with members. So I think there's going to be an interesting dynamic that gets yeah. set up there. But in like a lot of companies, you got like an account executive that works for the company that's like responsible for those accounts. So I'm kind of toggling back and forth between what's the right way to think about it or what's your, what's your perspective? Yeah, I think that was already an undercurrent at play where you were seeing this like empowerment of the fitness professional, I think. And I think that was being led by, you know, boutique fitness sort of getting to a maturation, if not saturation in certain markets and the core differentiator between studio to studio and class to class was was really centered around the unique personality at the front of the room who was who was motivating you. Um, so I think you're already seeing this undercurrent at play, and you know COVID has really just accelerated that uh, that shift where fitness professionals are now sort of building a business around their brand. But uh, you know I, I, I agree with you. I don't think like I don't think that means like the studios are going to disappear overnight. I think the studios will stay. I think what you'll just see is like a shift in the supply and the demand of studios um, and, and classes led by um, studio brands. Um, it was interesting, like when we, you know, were starting out and sort of well, when I was sort of doing a lot of research around the concept and the idea, um, we did a consumer survey where we found that we asked participants, you know, rank these four things in order um, of priority and um, in terms of when you select a class. And the number one priority when the consumer selected class was the fitness professional. Number two thing was the convenience. Number three was the studio amenities. And the least important factor for them was actually the studio brand. Um, and I think, you know, that is, you know, when you think about it, like a lot of consumers go to the studio the first time because of the studio and because of the studio brand, but they keep coming back because of the talent. They find their instructor that they like and they'll stay incredibly loyal and sticky to them. Interesting. So, you know, what, one of the instructors that we had on, and we're, he's a soul cycle instructor. We're talking to him and I've been doing some of his you know, Instagram workouts and some zoom videos. And I said, you know, are you going to, uh, are you going to keep this going, you know, afterwards? And he's like, no, nah, you know, I'm, that's not my, it's not my thing. You know, like I'm doing this to basically just keep in touch with my members, but like I'm a live instructor and that's how I like to communicate. Um, where I think probably 80% of the instructors are going to say, look, I'm going to keep this revenue stream going and I'll figure out how to either do that through the studio if they give me some additional benefit or maybe take some of the expense or obligation or, or time, resource, quality control off of my plate, then make it worthwhile for me. But I, I feel like there's probably a, a, a financial trade-off for the instructor. But it seems like you're actually going to the point where saying like, look, I'm going to basically be like your shopify or like your you know i use like we use private label gmail you know yeah. and i like that, you know so when somebody calls up and says hey well you know we'll hook up your like you know your integrity square you know email server i'm like Dude, like thank you but like i'm paying 50 bucks a year for you know for gmail you know private g suite you know so are you do you feel like you're you've kind of gotten to the point where you've simplified this where there's no reason why like a self-employed professional or instructor in the future won't just be using this as kind of ancillary. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's been like, 
critical to everything that we've done in terms of how we've designed it, how we've uh, thought about the both the client journey, the like end consumer journey, as well as the instructor journey in terms of getting set up and using the platform, um, is that ease of use. Um, it literally takes anywhere from two to five minutes to get set up. It takes two minutes to set up our profile and, our, and create your mini website using the OnPodio platform. It takes another two minutes to connect up with Stripe account and you could be adding classes and running classes and automating those classes, you know, collectively within four to five minutes, I guess. And, and they're doing their own video production and uploading their own content, right? Yeah, that's right. 90% of people on our platform today are using Zoom um, and they're recording those Zoom videos as well for the most part and then uploading those as well. So they're both doing the live stream, um, which we're automating the sort of booking and payment of. And then we then host the the video afterwards. They that some, that some portion of them sell as an on-demand offering. So do you think that um, as we get into this like, you know, 5G and, and next iteration of... Um, you know, backdrops and professional production that not only is the instructor over time going to be important, but the production quality. Yeah, I think this is a tricky one. I think it'll be interesting to see where it plays out because, um, you know, obviously at the, at one end, you've got the Pelotons of the Hollywood production, you know, and that level of quality. And then at the other end, you've probably got the Zoom level productions that most of the fitness professionals are running. In in between, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how that plays out. I'm not sure if the investment is going to worth is going to be worth it because I think one of the things that a lot of these fitness professionals are quite successful at doing in living in that sort of Zoom live stream world is they can deliver tailored, personalized experiences. I think consumers value that. Once you start to make an investment into production value you need to make a return on that investment. And that means you have to sell a lot more of those, you know, on-demand classes and that tailoring and that personalization, I think you start to lose. So I'm not sure where that plays out. Um, I think it'll be a matter of, you know, how quickly the technology evolves, how quickly or how cheap it is to basically increase your production value without going overboard. And just, just one comment of something that I've noticed recently, and I'd love to get your take on or even Dave Gannelin, you know, sometimes when I'll go on, um, uh, YouTube and I'll, and I'll dive an ad served up, right. You know, five second ad or 10 second ad, you know, it's like two guys sitting there like in front talking about like, Hey man, we helped this guy do an SEO optimization and like, we can help you too. And it's, it's kind of, it's not even like a commercial. It's basically right. just like two guys kind of just like speaking to you as if we're on a zoom video, which basically like took out all of the, there's no video editor. Like it's basically like the two founders of the company even like without mostly usually without a script, it looks completely authentic. It's kind of a little bit bizarre, but yeah. like I actually end up watching it because like it's two guys basically like telling you like, Hey, we helped this guy like, you know, and just, you know, turn his Shopify account into like a thousand a month to like 15,000 a month, you know, yeah. click here to learn our story. And they're like, all right, like actually I will click through on that. Cause I'm, you know, you've intrigued me because you have you basically have done no effort in creating a commercial trying to sell me anything because you're just talking to me. So like, is that like going to your point of like, maybe the production value kind of takes away from like what you're producing, which is basically I'm trying to produce like myself. So like, why should I edit myself? If, yeah. if, you, if you like me, then don't edit yeah. me. Yeah. I, and I think like that as well as like, you know, I think what boutique fitness did really well is create community. And it's, you know, you can't create community at massive scale, at least not to begin with as an individual independent 
Bitpro. So yeah, I think like it's, I, I think that at least right now I see the most success in continuing in this live stream on demand, 10 to 20 people in your live stream world. Got it. That's great. So, uh, so we got onpodio.com dot, uh, well, it's, it's uh, onpodio.com, uh, but it's me.onpodio.com as well. At least that's yeah, how it up. Yeah, onpodio.com will take you to the new, um, to the new page. Awesome. So you got any, uh, besides some of the uh, words of wisdom, you got any quotes that you live by or, you know, certain things that, uh, like your 1% comment, you know, that kind of keeps you going? I think that's probably, yeah. Um, that 1% comment is one that I come back to day in, day out. Um, you know, it's for me, there's, uh, yeah, there's so much going on day to day. I just need to push forward the marketing strategy a little bit further. I need to push forward the product strategy a little bit further. And, you know, I think we've seen, I like, you know, we're looking back 15 months ago to where we are today. It's, it's somewhat remarkable. It's sometimes easy as a founder to get lost in that. You're always looking forward. You're not looking back. So yeah, I think that's the one that I sort of live by and, and come back to most days. Yeah. We used to, I used to put a uh, post-it note on this guy's uh, desk that just said, just had the word progress in, in, in uh, cap letters. Cause, cause you're always making progress, but sometimes you, you don't stop to actually like celebrate any of the wins. They just yep. kind of keep powering through. So that'd be a good takeaway. So uh, we'll welcome officially to the Halo sector. Good to have you uh, in our uh, in our community now, and uh, look forward to helping out where we can and uh, help people make more money. And uh, we're going to solve obesity, loneliness, and diabetes through your technology and, and other technologies. Uh, instead of trying to find a cure for something that doesn't need a cure except activity. So thanks for your efforts. Be safe. Yeah. Bye, buddy. Talk to you Cheers. soon. This is Pete Moore. As you know, I am a big believer in personal development. I got a time-saving opportunity here for you, recommending Dan Millman's Four Purposes of Life. Go to audible.com forward slash Halo Talks. You want to register there, get a free audio book. It's $14.95 a month thereafter. Giving you things that I do to make myself better and hopefully it makes you better. Go Halo. Let's play to win.